0: of the Change Cadet podcast. Now, I know what you're thinking. Akilah, Dr. Akilah, Dr. Cadet, what happened to season three? It's been a year plus we haven't heard from you. Yes, that is true and right. And I don't know if you know, I've been dismantling white supremacy. We had the murder of George Floyd, May 25th, 2020, and I've been busy nonstop since then. We're in a period of racial Awakening and reckoning and allyship and accomplice and showing up and figuring out how to do it. And I've been helping businesses all around the world figure it out. But I missed you all. So we have a limited series where I interview three incredible authors about their book or their process of the book or a little combination of both.
1: And it all ties
0: back to dismantling white supremacy because you know me. Now, I do the same thing as a regular Change Today podcast, which is ask how people are a soldier of change. How are they a change today? Now, because so much has happened since 2020, I'm moving away from soldier, even though that's what today, my last name means. It's more so how are people change agents? How are they affirmed in themselves while doing work that isn't so pleasant? It's the moment to be comfortable being uncomfortable. So tune in Listen, remember to like and subscribe, and if anything, buy the books, y'all. Books are important. Buy the books. I hope you enjoy this limited series. Welcome to the Change Today podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. We have Cole Brown today, and Cole is my newfound favorite person you're into that? Okay. Cole Brown is my new <laughs> favorite person. He's the author of Grey Boy, um, which is an exceptional, exceptional book. Um, and he's also my fellow Virgo. So I, I love you even more. So Cole, I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners.
1: Um, well, first, thank you so much for having me. Like you said, my name is Cole Brown. Uh, I am a kid from philly i am a political commentator i'm proud ethiopian and brother and uh, son and grandson um i'm here because i, I wrote a book called gray boy that, that you mentioned and we were fortunate to connect uh during a, an event some months ago um gray boy was largely about how i grew up uh being a black kid in predominantly white spaces so that released in september 2020 uh, since then, I have been working on the TV show adaptation of that, which was picked up and is not yet, uh, with the masses, but hopefully will be soon. Uh, um,
0: so. hold on, hold on. Oh, Say that again. The, let everyone know. Cause this is awesome. Say it again. Um,
1: uh, so, so the great boy released in September, 2020 and, uh, the, the option rights for the book were picked up, uh, shortly thereafter by ABC Signature. And the incredible young actress Yara Shahidi. There we go. Uh, which I'm very excited about. So, so we're in the process of hopefully bringing that to life, literally as we speak. Um, and then I work on some other writing stuff. So I, I, my political writing appears in CNN and a few other places. Uh, and and just finished a book that will come out next May uh, with Matt James, who was the first Black Bachelor. Uh, so doing a bit of everything at the moment.
0: You were literally the coolest person. also as you
1: mentioned i'm a virgo which means almost nothing to me but but it means something to you it does i guess it has some explanatory force for why we get along so well
0: well it's because we pay attention to detail we're excellent storytellers and writers so we have that down we are always thinking of other people sometimes before ourselves so we have to remember to do that but we literally can solve any problem any problem Right. I didn't realize that.
1: Well, I, I'm i happy to, to to know that now. Hopefully, it'll help with the other problems I have in
0: life. I mean, do you? You're doing just fine. You're definitely doing just fine. But yeah, that, that's why I love Virgos because I'm like, oh, you can do all the things. Um, you left some stuff out of your bio. So there's yeah. I'm. You have book praise from Queen Latifah and Diddy. And I don't know how many times you've been in Forbes, but you've been in Forbes and New York Times. And you have the NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Literary Work as a debut author. So,
1: wait, wait. Important important caveat there. I don't I don't actually have the award. I was nominated. I I lost to uh Elijah Cummings. Uh obviously
0: That makes sense. Yeah.
1: Position that, yeah, that, yeah. Like, that like I gotta tell you if you gotta lose, go out to Elijah Cummings.
0: You were nominated. Yes, that's right. My bad. You were nominated. But that's pretty cool that you were nominated. Thank you. That happens. And then, you know, all of your life, people sing the theme song for Fresh Prince of for you. So I think that's also important. <laughs> it's a highlight to put it there. So I like to start by asking people how they are a change today. So obviously the company I run, Change Today, today means soldier. But it's really about how are people agents of change? And so how do you feel you're an agent of change?
1: Yeah, I think that the the book, and obviously we'll probably get into the meetup of Grey Boy, my first book, but um, Grey Boy, as I mentioned, was really about that experience of growing up Black in predominantly white spaces, um, Black with a certain amount of privilege. Um, and the one, I mean, you know, the obvious advantages that come with that, but then two, some of the more nuanced um, difficulties uh, that come with that that experience of being kind of the only one of your kind in a space. And I grew up in a time when I just didn't see many nuanced takes on the Black experience. Uh, and I think that we've fortunately, just within the last several years, kind of moved past that. Um, there's so many strong Black creators that are creating so many different archetypes of Blackness uh, publicly. Um, but I still didn't see this specific experience. Uh, so I think that that was kind of the goal of that first book was one kind of a personal one. I think it was just cathartic to get that story out. Um, But then in in terms of like a public service, almost goal of trying to add this facet to that I know exists and that I know I share with many others um, to what is commonly understood to be the black experience uh, just because I hadn't seen it before.
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely resonate with your book and your life. I've also grew up in predominantly white spaces, schools, places. I mean, I can ski. So that tells you a lot. <laughs> That's in there. <laughs> well, for me, like growing up in Sacramento, if you could ski because you went to Tahoe, and you had access, right? And that privilege. And um, we both have light skin privilege. You know, in this world of, of colorism, that's there too. And because we've been in these white spaces, it allows us to be in other spaces that some of our peers um, may feel uncomfortable in or may not have access to because of this type of upbringing um, that we had, I, Jack and Jill. You know, that whole thing. <laughs> that was that was my life. I'm curious for you, um, as you as you brought it up, and you and you go into this in, in your book as well, but like. What was that tipping point for you uh, when you realized that your culture, your ethnicity, your identity, you know, was different than the masses, right, of what you were part of? Because we acculturate to a certain extent because that's who we're around. Yeah. So what was that for you?
1: Um, I think for me and and frankly for for just kind of kids generally, I think there's even research that demonstrates this, that, that we develop an awareness of race at, at a pretty young age. Um, if you think about like the Brown B Board. education experiments with barbie dolls and so forth you know there's 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 an awareness even if we don't have the vocabulary for it there's an awareness of race from a pretty young age so i remember um you know at at a young age like in third grade and i read about this in the book um going to dance class uh which again just speaks to the environment i was in you know i was in Mm a ballroom dancing class in the third grade um wait
0: what type of ballroom
1: oh we did it all uh you know we had some like waspy white women teach us that it was all off beat. like we did the we did the box step and the foxtrot and all of that. I can't do any of it. Foxtrot. Um, wow. If I tried, I'd probably be more on beat than we were then. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> um I uh, you know, I remember like being in that in that uh, sort of country club environment and the different ways in which both my sister and I were regarded uh, by adults. actually those early memories were largely by adults, um, more so even than
0: peers. I, but even peers, you know, like as we get slightly older, uh, early
1: middle school, late lower school and beginning to think about matching up and, uh, what it means to be attractive and, and who gets to be attractive and, um, and those early memories of feeling rejection largely because of, I mean, I didn't know it then, but I know now that it was largely because sort of my appearance didn't fit within a very thin definition of what could be attractive. Um, so I, I think that those are all of kind of my early memories of, of difference, even if I didn't have the vocabulary for, for why I felt that difference.
0: Yeah. For the listeners, Cole is very attractive. You could just Google and look at his face. He's growing a mustache now. <laughs> but I also know that I have a weakness of yours with my hazel eyes. I got that from the book. So sorry, not sorry. Um, <laughs> so for me, it was also similar to, and, and, growing up in Sacramento, we had pools galore. And so it was swimming. People are like, what is happening to your hair? Because we jump in, right? It's straight we come out and it's curly. And that's when I was starting to realize that we had difference. But the pivotal point for me was really high school and going to high school, because even though it was still a public high school and the like affluent neighborhood, more people went to the high school. We went from, you know, the four black kids and one was my twin sister. (laughs) to hundreds of black kids. And so that's when I realized I wasn't black enough for them, but I also wasn't white enough for other people. And then the Asian folks I hung out with were like, no, we've moved on. And so I was trying to figure out where to, you know, fit in. And I was bullied and, you know, all the the fun stuff. Um, And I was like, okay, so... Because of my existence, I'm somehow a problem because of, you know, the privilege I'm able to get from my, primarily my mother, at some point my father, but primarily my mother, I am now being othered as a result of that. So eventually it all, you know, it worked out, but there was a lot of growing pains in that, um, for that to happen.
1: And and just to, to add to that, I think that, um, in my answer, and certainly in the beginning of your answer, talking kind of about implicit indicators of, of. I'll speak for myself of my difference. So, you know, kind of the way that someone looks at you and understanding that that's not, um, that they're looking at me slightly differently. Um, so there's a lot of inference that happens there, um, which is different from, I mean, we've talked almost exclusively about kind of like the white world and how they, uh, define my difference, but Mm -hmm. that's very different from my family who were much more explicit, you know, my family from an early age, um, my black family saying you are different, (laughs) you know, saying you know, my, My my mother and father saying, I'm not your white friend's parents. Mm -hmm. And and from a very young age, trying to understand, well, what does that mean? Um, uh, You know, my father, I write about this in the book. My father and my mother handing me books that were like really heavy, you know, like Autobiography of Malcolm X as an eight year old, as a nine year old, um, because they were concerned that I wouldn't understand my difference in a nuanced uh, way uh, when it really mattered later in life. So, so I, I felt that difference spoken to me both um, from the white world that I was in, but then also my kind of nuclear immediate Black family and world as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. I We had a Frederick Douglass wall. I mean, it's still there. The Frederick Douglass wall. Yeah. <laughs> it was all Frederick Douglass, nothing but Black art, understanding the history. My grandfather had a, a Black history museum in Sacramento, so we like knew the facts. And then I'm half Haitian, so then there was always this picture of Haitian people and, you know, revolutionary people on our wall. And so, you know, I think it's important to note, like having that part of history, whereas there is a difference with other black families where they may have not gotten that part of history, but also seeing how that reflects into who we are today, because we are, you know, we're disrupting and we're telling our stories and we're understanding, yes, we came from a white world, but we are affirmed with our ethnicity, our culture, identity, right? and, And who we are. Which is wonderful. But I will say Jack and Jill, even though it's Jack and Jill, made me realize that I wasn't the only one that had this type of access or privilege. You know, so even when I was being othered by some black people who may not have had the same privilege, there was this group of people that we could connect with. With like, oh, you have an additional study group to do the (laughs) thing. Oh, you went to Paris too? How's Paris? You know, and just to also see that that was a possibility um, of both sides of the tracks, so to speak. Right.
1: Yeah. 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 And I I try to reflect probably similarly in the book on on Jack and Jill. Um, I I guess maybe this is a a given as being understood, but Jack and Jill, of course, is like an organization that's supposed to bring kids like we're describing together. So, um, you know, black kids in predominantly white spaces Um, and has a troubled history in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, You know, like has not been a universal force for good uh, in black communities throughout its history. Um, but you're right. I mean, like Jack and Jill for me also, because I'm on the East Coast, I would go to Martha's Vineyard and still do, which has a very long black history on that island. Um, those spaces, precisely what you said, just kind of let me know I wasn't alone, uh, wasn't the only one. Um, for all of their totally valid misgivings that could be said about them. Um, I think that that for a young kid, I can't think of many things that are much
0: more important than that. No absolutely and and thanks for setting the context. I'm very jealous of the East Coasters. I've never been to Martha's Vineyards. I don't even know I don't know how this has happened to me, but I've never been and I'm just like, who will invite me? When will it happen? Um, because I feel like it's it's such a, a a big part of black culture, but there's also, you know different experiences that can happen as a result of who you're associated with and who you go with and who you travel with. so. It's on my to-do list when the world opens up.
1: <laughs> let me know. I'll, I'll be out there. I, I do all my writing out there. So if you make it
0: out. Really? Let me know. Okay. You're giving me all the tips and tricks. I'm into it. Okay. So maybe let's just talk about your book. With um, Great Boy. do you feel you told the story that you wanted to tell?
1: Um, yeah, I do. I mean, I don't think that I think that the nature of a first book, probably of of all books is that you, you work really hard on this thing and then um, you quit more than you actually finish. Like you just kind of like, I can't keep, you know, working on the same sentences. It's time to let the world see this thing. Um, And then months later, like there's all sorts of stuff you regret. Uh, So that's, that's certainly the case with, with this book. You know, I I read it and I I don't, I haven't reread really any of it uh, recently, but. Certainly in the first few months, you know, I'm looking at all the things that I would have done differently now that I am older and wiser. Um, (laughs) But with that said, I, yeah, I think it did, it did something important. I I think that it, I was able to authentically tell kind of this experience. It's important to say that this book is not a memoir. Like it's not just my life. I interviewed a lot of other kids that say kids, but now we're all in our kind of mid twenties and, and who grew up similarly mm-hmm. um, many of whom were close friends uh, but kind of up and down the East coast and even across the country. And I tried to coalesce around, tried to have their voices coalesce around some understanding of a singular experience. Um, even though we vary, you know, particularly along the lines of gender and in other ways, there were certain things that we all kind of shared in terms of um, our formative years. And I, uh, I now will, Will speak to groups largely of the black kids that grew up similarly from sometimes, and uh, they speak to kind of how it, how the how the book resonated with them and, and captured their experience, uh, and that affirms for me, confirms for me, you know, that this was worthwhile.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, reading your book, I also listened to your book. It's, I, I felt seen you know, um, in it, because this is an experience that is really unique, but for those who have it, there's so many similarities, there's just so many similarities. So as you're going through the stories, um, also I wish I knew you at the time where you were just taking cold medicine. What Was that the cold medicine? I was like, oh my gosh, it was cold, cold medicine and something else. What did you take?
1: Are you, you're talking about the chapter bad, bad, not good. Yeah. Which chapter are you talking about?
0: that um, was um, kind of like taking killers. And pain, yes, there we go. Yeah. The cold. Yes. And I was just like, Oh no, there's too many me as a former med student. I'm like, there's too, there's too many. I was very concerned. Yeah. I'm glad spoiler alert. You made it. Um, but I, it, there, there's so many parallels also in that chapter because you're going through something and I'm not going to ruin it for the listeners so that, you know, you're going through something, but you're also, you're finding ways to get rid of pain. Mm-hmm. Like mental and physical. It was just it's anyway, it's beautiful. Yeah. And, and I think that that's something that was really interesting about uh
1: the experience of of kind of watching the reception to the book was that, like you said, like this is a very specific experience. And I never mm-hmm. endeavored for it to be anything other than like a very specific experience. Um, but in capturing that specificity, you end up speaking to um sort of larger truths that end up resonating with groups you didn't initially anticipate. So yeah, you know, the book comes out. And I hear from, like, the one Latino kid in school in Arkansas, or I hear from, like, the Asian kid in school. You know, like, I, I'm hearing from all of these other groups that, um, again, are very specific experiences. Uh, one was, was Chinese adoptees. I, I, I hear from a girl that's a Chinese adoptee, and and she, you know, wants to do a very similar thing, but for Chinese adoptees. And um, and you you then understand that, like, even though it's drastically different in all of its specificity, um, it speaks to some larger truth of kind of not quite belonging that you never really initially could have hoped to capture, but, but in some ways ended up doing.
0: Yeah. That's the beauty of a book though, because you literally don't know where it's going to land. Right. Um, and, and who will be either inspired or validated or a combination of both and um, that experience. How have white people responded to your book?
1: Um. Largely positively, I'm I'm thinking about that question as I as I answer. Um, I think there's one kind of like the community that I that I largely wrote about, the community that I grew up. um, Their response was probably understandably mixed. You know, this was this was not an abstraction for them. They know all of the places and all of the people, and um, I think that that while the response can be colored as largely positive, there were certainly I think some uh, people that might've felt slightly betrayed, uh, by, by how kind of our community was depicted in the book. Um, so that, so that's kind of like that specific response. Um, on a broader scale, you know, I released the book in September, 2020. Um, so I was doing all of like the, the talking about the book, um, in the summer leading up to it. Of course, that is like the summer of racial reckoning for, for America. Yeah. Um, at the time I'm in Australia, uh, I was living in Australia at the time. Um, And they just didn't have somebody to explain what was happening in America. So from that standpoint, uh, the white response was kind of like the white response to, to all black creators for about four months. It was like a latching onto and, uh, please help me understand. Um, and all of a sudden I'm talking on Australian TV several nights a week. And like, I've never been on TV before and try to, you know, break, uh, America's 400 year history down. In, in 90 seconds. So, so that was a, a white response that I could not possibly have anticipated, um, but was just a result of kind of the times we were living in.
0: Yeah, that's also when I started being on TV, just, just to break things down. You know, yeah. um, it's cool and also exhausting, you know, at the same time, yeah. because you want to be able to provide as much context as possible. And then if you're on some type of panel, you're dealing with other folks and what they're putting in and you may or may not agree with it. It's like a whole, yeah. you know, it's a whole situation. Um, so when did you come back to the States then? If you, your, your, your book, your pub day, was it Australia?
1: Yes. Um, wow. so I, I had moved to Australia in February of 2020 basically like right before COVID hit and uh, like literally weeks before. And, um, and my pub day was September of 2020. The initial plan was to come back for that, uh, to do all of the in-person book touring stuff. Obviously like that was a moot point at the time, uh, you know, pub day rolled around. Um, So I ended up staying there, did much of the TV, uh, both Australian TV, but then also kind of TV negotiations for Boy Mm -hmm. from Australia uh, and returned here in
0: February of 21. Wow. Um, so I've been back for a little while now. Wow. I'm so glad you did that. Who knew the pandemic would just yes. be this interesting point where, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, but the pandemic is the differentiating factor into why we're able to have these conversations now. Because people had to sit at home. They couldn't go to brunch. They couldn't travel. You know, so they're like, okay, what is happening with the who, with the what? You know, and they have to like sit in it and buy your book (laughs) and buy other books and come to my workshop and and do all this stuff. So when you mentioned the four months, I know exactly what you're talking about with those four months. (laughs) Right? And that intensity. And so I'm curious now because people are still reading your book, obviously, because it's fantastic. I mean, I'm into it. Um, in general, like, what would you want the reader to learn from or or get from your book?
1: Yeah. Um, so for, first, I want to respond to something that you just said. because I think that when the when the history of uh, Black Lives Matter in 2020 is told, people will not emphasize enough like the role that just boredom played in this global f- phenomenon. Um, It'll be you know, in like, my book to say, obviously. Like, you know which is not to say, obviously that that the George Floyd video was not horrific and was, right. but but so many tragedies happen um, and are caught on camera. to black. We
0: had a mod arbury uh, in February. Right. You know, we didn't have on camera, but we had Brianna Taylor in March. But it was the yeah. the March week was the week everyone was like, do we go yeah. inside? Are we sheltering in place? So it wasn't that big, you know, of a thing. A yeah. mod was enough to be to have the same energy of like what the fuckness (laughs) right um but it didn't happen because people were you know new year new me vibes still working on the resolutions you know
1: absolutely um so i really and and i actually tried to make that point even in real time when i was in australia speaking publicly because i thought that i exactly what you said just like sitting at home um when this happened protesting was important but it was also something to do (laughs) and and i i watched from across the world and saw how how that was clearly a factor, I think, uh, and and wasn't often labeled as such, particularly by um, kind of I think some liberal elements that wanted to be Pollyannish about how this all came about. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: you know, I, I think that, that that was just an important element. Uh, but, anyways, that's not the question you asked. Uh, the question you asked was was you'll have to remind me. Did I get the point across? So
0: what do you want the reader to learn from or get from your book?
1: Yes. Um, This kind of goes back to to the question you asked earlier about kind of the goals of it. I think that uh, I want to expand in a very sort of small way the the understanding of blackness. I, you know, I want I want the experience that I had to be understood as a black experience, Mm -hmm. um, not an aberration of the black experience, as you said, yours was when people are saying you are not black enough. Um, I think that that's one response to to you know a counter example that doesn't align with. I uh, yeah you know, the more broadly understood definition. the other response is to just expand the definition. And I'm hoping that um, that this book in a very small way for the small number of people that read it, um, does exactly that. you know, expands the definition just slightly.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's powerful as I think about my book um, or whatever that will happen, I think there needs to be more books like yours. That allow people to, you know, again, have that validation and reflection, but for those who don't have that same lived or similar lived experience or identity, to understand white supremacy in it, to understand complexities in it, to understand, you know, what happens within the same culture. By the way, I'm technically Habeshawn because once I moved to San Francisco, people are like, you're oh, and I'm like, no, I'm Haitian. <laughs> no, 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 I no, you see. are <laughs> yeah, yeah. all the time. People will get upset. I'm like, no, I'm not a and I'm not an Ethiopian. Well, then how do you know that? Well, because people listen, people yeah. tell me I'm Habashah all the time. <laughs> I so. Absolutely. Anyways, so we're, we're probably related somewhere um, <laughs> down the road. But, yeah, I think it, it's important for people to start to put all of these tools you know, that they've been collecting in 2020 and even the earlier part of this year into action, right? Because when you talk about the same storyline of what you're saying, of like, you know, people need an activity, something to do, and that the the pandemic was a, a shift to how people were showing up and how they're thinking differently. Remember, that all fizzled off when we got into the election cycle, you know, because people are like, you know, if we just get Biden and Harris, we'll fix it. We'll undo, you know, Trumpism, we'll undo Trump era. But clearly, January 6th changed that.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, so people didn't have that. And then also with the, but always happening, but when media took hold of Stop AAPI Hate, it was the same thing that happened there. And so we, particularly for white people, um, AAPI people and black people, Sometimes they're like, but what am I, who am I supporting now? Because it was a black man that did that to an elderly AAPI person, Asian American Pacific Islander person. What do I do? So still, even in this, you know, summer of awakening and reckoning, they're still not realizing that white supremacy is the root of that. So if we can put AAPI people against black people, then it does the work for white people to maintain dominance, right? right? And to keep the culture. So stories like yours I would hope people are able to process and understand and see how these things show up and see what, you know, perseverance looks like and questioning and identity and purpose all look like, um, moving through, you know, we live in a white dominant culture.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that we, um, I, I hope I'm not speaking for you, but my understanding of what you do is that I think that we, uh, do two different things i mean you're you're really good at um tools and communicating to white people um you know sort of they are enacting uh problematic structures and and you have the vocabulary for that and and i think that you serve an important role i'm just not good at serving that role um uh, my you know i think that my role is somewhat different you know i like i'm I'm, as we've spoken about in the past, I've, you know, I've been asked to come into companies and speak for black history month, like mm-hmm. you often are. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they'll try to ask me the questions. I'm sure they ask you about sort of corporate culture and all sorts of things, which I just like, don't, not only do I, am I not equipped to answer? Like I'm not particularly interested in answering.
0: Don't do it. Um, yeah.
1: I think, that, I think that my, you know, my role is hopefully exactly what you're talking about is is much more about just kind of like here's something that i'm noticing about the world and if i can capture it um as cleanly as objectively um as truthfully as possible uh then hopefully that'll do the work that i'm you know in 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 well-intentioned hands that that could do the work that um that i hope to see done i So that's really all I'm, I'm trying to do. You know, I, like, I, I I think that, I think that the
0: other work is important. I'm just not good at it. Okay. You're great at a lot of things, clearly. (laughs) Virgo. Um, I mean, it, it does, I just happen to be a doc in leadership and organizational development. So that's why I understand workplaces. And for me, because that's where my racism and trauma and all that stuff started, um, where I realized how much time we spend at work, that's why I put time into these workplaces because people are there all the yep. time. So don't do it. I don't. I don't. <laughs> do not recommend. <laughs> I just again happen to be good at it. But for you, the storytelling is the most powerful thing. So I use storytelling even in the corporate structures. I know what to do with the systems. Here's how to change a recruiting structure. Blah blah blah. But the storytelling part is powerful, and that's how we have similar outcomes, if not the same outcomes. Yep. So self-awareness, how are you showing up? How are you choosing to be anti-racist? It comes through, you know, every page of your book because of the stories that you're telling. And it'll come through with every episode. I'm so excited for you. It'll come through with every episode. I mean, I've known this, but going, when you told me originally, I hadn't finished your book. And then as I was going through your book, I'm like, oh my God, this is a great episode, like right here. So- So having it play out um, is important, but the stories, our stories are not only important just in general, but it's it's part of our culture. It's part of your family's culture. You talk about that in the book, right, of the stories that you heard, you know, when you would go and visit the family in the South and all that other stuff. Those stories are important. My family's also part, my mom's side of the family is from the South. Those stories are important. And it's a way to continue the tradition in modern times of how we tell our stories. Yeah. Um, So I'm so happy for you. I would love to know a little bit about, you know, how is the publishing process for you? Um, Because there are going to be some future writers that will be listening to this episode. And we know the publishing space is very white. It's a rumor on the street. Um, (laughs) But they've also been a bit more time and energy into diversifying. So, you know, how is the publishing process for you? Did you feel valued throughout the process?
1: Uh no, of course not. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> but but you know I'm a first-time writer and and very seldom are uh sort of first-time authors valued throughout the process. Add to that that like I have a black story that um people aren't sort of already acutely aware of. Um, that doesn't that's not an, a winning equation for feeling valued throughout the process. Uh, so my publishing process was admittedly like even with that said was still pretty probably different than most others would be um my book began as an essay for a class when i was an undergrad uh uh, when i was a junior at georgetown university and at the end of my first semester i'd written about twenty thousand words which is about a third of a book and um and the professor offered to publish it and i basically just told him like thank you but i don't feel like i'm finished with this thing i you know i'm I'm telling a lot of my friends stories and i want to Kind of pay them uh, due respect as well. So I I kept working on it, thinking, and I signed to my agent, uh, my first agent, in uh, the spring of that year, thinking that by the time I was a senior, I would I would uh, you know publish a book. Mm-hmm. And that's just never how these things happen. Uh, so you know, one agent later, and several years later, um, I finally kind of screeched into deal with a small imprint here in New York. Um, And part of the reason we landed together was one, like they were willing to take a shot on me, which I was appreciative of. But two, you know, I had basically several of the majors, all of the majors, um tell me in one form or another that my story was illegitimate. Um, You know, tell me, tell me in one form. I still have I I refrained from being petty with just about everybody from the publishing process, except for one woman who who said it kind of most explicitly, who said, you know and this is a paraphrase it said you know we've spoken to our expert on black books and um, she doesn't think that anybody's interested in the woes of privileged life uh, I don't think there's a market for this uh, you know sort of good luck elsewhere and um, so I, I ended up being a bit petty in response to her several years later but otherwise I, I heard I heard uh, some version of that from a lot of people mm-hmm. um so I think that the you know if there is a moral to that story it's kind of like, One, you got to just keep knocking on doors. Um, You know, hopefully, one of them will eventually open. Um, And then, two, you know, just like having the the. I decided at a certain point that like my story was legitimate. That like you know, I I decided at a certain point, I'd I'd spoken to enough people and and interviewed enough kids for the book, and had just decided that like this was a story that needed to exist in the world. Mm -hmm. And when you, I think, when you have that kind of conviction of cause, that's the only way that. That you get through a whole lot of no's and sometimes there are just like a whole lot of no's uh before a yes.
0: Yeah, well, I mean that speaks to another level of privilege to say if your story has value, right? When you've lived it, you know your story has value. Um also yeah. the the person who does the black books or whatever. <laughs>
1: yeah and she was just like so like i mean i could go on a tangent about that but it it was just so clear that like here's the black woman on our floor let's get her.
0: right totally
1: and she like doesn't you know and and um and unfortunately exactly what you said like that's that's still how a lot of publishing houses operate it's it's incredibly white dominated you know i've now brought two books one is about to release and and one i've already written and um so i've gone through this process twice now and kind of in the middle of it a third time and very rarely are you running into anybody of color kind of all the way up the, you know, all the way through the supply and right. value chain. Yeah. Um, so, so, I mean, from agents to editors to everybody. So yeah, I mean, they, they ultimately are the gatekeepers that decide, you know, what stories get that stamp of approval from major publishers. Yeah. Um, and it's just not easy at times to convince them uh, of our lived experience.
0: And the black woman who provided that feedback for you, you know, again, me, the workplace nerd, thinking about the system she's in. So maybe she's an assistant editor or maybe she's an assistant because she's clearly not in an editorial capacity or maybe over at marketing and is, is doing all that she can to keep her job so she could move up because she really loves publishing. You know, so there's that too. So you can't necessarily be mad at her, but I'm so glad it worked out
1: for
0: you um, i'm glad it worked out
1: uh, yeah i guess the, the one other note i would say on on that process is that the deal i ended up i think that there's something to be said for at a certain point just deciding like i need to get this thing out into the world yeah and i'll and i'll figure the rest out um and i think that uh you know everybody dreams of like their first book Becoming this or that, and like uh, you know, winning you a national book award, and like all of this stuff. And at a certain point, I had to decide. You know, three some odd years into the process, you know, I just want this thing to be out there in the world. Um, and and I am appreciative for the shot I received from the publisher I was I was with because nobody else was willing to give it to me. No, it was not the perfect deal, but it was you know it gave me something to build on uh, yeah. in the future that I think at a certain point you just make that decision.
0: I feel like it's working really well for you, though.
1: Well, we'll see. I mean, (laughs) that that remains to be seen. It's been a fun year. I don't know how many more of them I got in, but we'll see.
0: So then, um, how do you take care of yourself? Um, The famous self-care question. I feel it's important as Black people that we talk about how we take care of ourselves.
1: Yeah, I'm still, like, I'm a work in progress on that. I was recently on Mm -hmm. a mental health podcast that a friend of mine has and like my first comment was like why the hell do y'all want me on investment guy? Okay. <laughs> am i like like you know am i like the counter example of how not to you know well you
0: you vac- you travel well you vacation well so that's a form of self-care
1: yes i do travel quite a bit fortunately my job allows that so like i'm not you know when i'm traveling i'm also still quote-unquote working uh very few days do i do i not write in some way um, but yes, I do. I do get to to travel quite a bit. Um, I have like really, really, I, I feel phenomenally blessed with like the people I've surrounded myself with. Um, I don't have any, like, you know, when, when people use the words of the day, like toxic and problematic and stuff to describe people in their orbit, like it just doesn't resonate with me at all. Um, so I've got a, a group of people that are equally ambitious and, and, uh, surpass me in just about every other regard. And they push me to be better, but they're also there when I need them, uh, which I feel blessed about. Um, and then just like time alone, I I do that, uh, pretty often. Um, I can't get any sort of good writing done in in the presence of others. Um, so what I'll often do is be quite social, probably too social for a few days in a row and then just drop off the face of the planet for about a month, Mm -hmm. um, not the best in terms of balance, but but it does allow me to kind of recharge so I can go be social again.
0: You are such a Virgo. <laughs> On. The, so so many levels work. On so many levels? No, I mean the alone time is a form of self-care for me too because when you're talking all the time, it's like the last thing you want to do is talk again. So being able to just do whatever you want to do, however many days or hours, I think it's incredibly powerful you know, really important to have, um, how do you keep being amazing? Um, <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's just like, I don't know how to answer that question. Um, I, I can tell you, I can tell you sort of how I, uh, think about continuing to be creative. Um, cause I'm working on a bunch of stuff right now. And I found when I was living in Australia, I've had a full-time job. I was a business consultant, um, and just worked my ass off because I was trying to get this, done you know in the hours that i wasn't working which is very few um and i found being creative incredibly difficult because i was like in a desert in terms of my inputs um i never had time to consume stuff because i was always kind of working on outputs um that's no longer the case fortunately i you know i write full-time now and if i'm not actively writing i'm constantly consuming stuff so like I listen to hours of podcasts a day, literally. And, um, and I'm constantly, you know, reading a couple books and I'm constantly watching stuff. Uh, and all of that I've found, you know, allows me to create, I, I need that input, um, to create stuff. You know, I'll, I'll read right now. I'm in a rabbit hole with Truman Capote and, and I'll read his stuff. And, and, you know, hopefully when I resurface something from what I've just consumed ends up in my next whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, So I found I found that that's
0: really really important for me. I mean, I think that's a good how you're amazing. So <laughs> <laughs> right there's that, but also um, you are again quite the Virgo. So that's how we know so much because we like to consume information. You know, so you know these random facts of things, or again like the fixing of things. It's just because it's something that that gives us joy to know that. I cannot tell you how many rabbit holes I've gone down. I could watch a docu-series about something. And I'm like, well, I want to fact check every single thing and I'll go in, right? What can I read? What can I, what was the origin of this story Um, to get into it? But I will say you're amazing because you have found your purpose already and not everyone can find their purpose. Meaning that, you know, you sacrificed a lot to get your book out, like on so many levels that you know, more than what you've even just shared today. And so to do that, you're able to, to do what you love to do, which is tell stories and to write and to travel. And that's amazing, you know, so the life that you'll continue to live, I'm just excited to watch it and honored to know you (laughs) so I can see what happens.
1: Thank you um, to all of that. I will say that like one, I agree. Like it's, it's a blessing to be able to, to particularly at the age I'm at now um, just kind of like create stuff and have that for the time being, uh, pay the bills. Right. That is not like, that is not like the, you know, like there's not the security that, that there was when I was a a consultant. Um, but yeah, I, I I want to, for as long as I am able to continue to kind of add to the, to the black canon And, um, and if I'm able to do that, uh, I agree. I mean, it's just, it's just a phenomenal lesson. Yeah residual
0: passive income already happening, you will be just fine. (laughs) You're welcome. So let the listeners know how they can find you.
1: Yes, I am uh, at Cole TD Brown on Instagram uh, and really all socials, although Instagram is my preferred one. Um, And my website is coldground.com and and obviously the books. Uh, So I have Grey Boy, Finding Blackness in a White World, which is already out. Uh, And then the book that I co-authored, First Impressions with Matt James, will be out in May. Uh, And then hopefully there's all sorts of other stuff that'll be in the next year or so. We'll see.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, we're also really excited about your show, too.
1: Yes. When that comes out. That is one of the the things. And I don't have a date for it yet.
0: uh, Oh, we don't need the date. But when it happens, we will all be cheering you on and... Obviously, you were able to have this project with the the Bachelor, so that's pretty exciting too. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to read that book with that whole kind of process and what went down. So,
1: yeah, are you were you tuned into the to this controversy and with this season as it happened?
0: You know, I I work with a lot of white women, so yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's one answer. Yeah, I, I hear you. Um, my here, here's because it has now been brought up. I need two seconds to say my my thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I, I will say that Matt was a friend before, uh, you know, he ever became the bachelor. Uh, he called me and said that he had a side of his story that he wanted to tell and he needed help telling it. And um, I think it's easy to be dismissive of you know reality TV writ large. What I will say is that, like, he really was the first anchor for a for a TV show that is an absolute ratings juggernaut, mm-hmm. uh, and had and had an opportunity to put kind of blackmail vulnerability on a bigger stage than it had ever been on before. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if that weren't the case, he also has just had an interesting story. So, so working on that, uh, it was my first time co-authoring a book. It won't be my last time, um, but it was a pleasure. It was really a pleasure. So I'm excited for how the world will respond particularly exactly what you're saying, like a group of people that is the predominant market that probably doesn't dive into these sorts of issues very often.
0: Yeah. Um, So we'll see. I mean, that's, I mean, I think obviously there's a lot and, and there's, there's always trauma when you when you're on that big of a platform, right. Of what and how it's processed and what happens. But I felt it was a really, I mean, I was bringing it up literally, in workshops that I was doing and talking about that because it's something that people could relate to because it's part of their zeitgeist. It's part of their life. It's part of their regular, you know, was it Monday night? I don't know. Whatever. It's on Hulu. So people are are, are really into that. So if they could have empathy, compassion, some learning and unlearning from that dynamic, then there's a, a win to it. It's definitely a win to it. And I think vulnerability is incredibly important for Black men, uh, because that also adds, and that's a whole other podcast, but also adds into relationship dynamics. That also adds into, you know, how some Black men will still advocate for R. Kelly, like, you know, those types of things, you know, because of other um, cultural things that happen with Black men and constantly being told that they can't be vulnerable. Um I mean, I, you know, I could connect it back to the enslavement of Black people, but I'm not going to do that today. <laughs> well, um, well, maybe we'll co-author a book in the future if we're yeah. if I'm cool enough <laughs> for you. Sounds good. Well, thank you um, for talking to us today. Remember to get Gray Boy; it is an excellent book, and then support anything Cole touches because it is what you need in your life. So, thanks for being here, and to you and everyone listening, keep being amazing good stuff, right? You know what you need to do. Download the book. Buy the book. Read an actual paper book. More importantly, go online. Write a comment. Write a review. These things are important for authors, for women, and for BIPOC people. They still need support, and that's a way for you to show up as an ally or as an accomplice by writing a review. Check out our podcast notes where you'll see links to the book and how to buy. And when you can, buy from a local bookstore. There's lots of ways that you can buy books online that still support local businesses. BIPOC, Womandone, small business, all good stuff. Make sure you do that. I hope you enjoyed the gems you received today. And yes, yes, I missed you too. Now, go buy the book because it's holiday season, y'all. Happy holidays and remember keeping amazing. Oh, and remember to like and subscribe. You can also do the same for comments and share and all that fun stuff because I'm trying to get sponsored, y'all. So the more you help and share out there, the more I appreciate it. Okay, bye for reals.